thank you so much for joining me for this very special bonus episode of Shorter Speaks With. And on this episode, I spoke with Steffi Devan, who is a tabletop RPG game developer and author. And she has a Kickstarter out now. So that's why uh, I am releasing this on a Tuesday, because her Kickstarter is out now. So at time recording. So uh, if you want to check it out, you can. But uh, Steffi spoke to me all about her new tabletop RPG game, City of Flesh. She spoke to me also about some of her RPG books that she has written and some of her fiction books that she has written as well. So uh, please enjoy. Thank you for joining us once again this week. So I am joined this week by Steffi Devan, uh, who is a role-playing author and uh, developer of games as well. And um, we're looking forward to speaking to you about this. So hello, Steffi. How are you? Uh, Hi. uh, Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm good as parameters allow. Well, yes, that's, uh, I, I think uh, it, was, it was funny because before when we asked, how are you? That was to make conversation. Now when yep. we ask, how are you? We genuinely mean it. <laughs> so yeah, how, how are you? Are you where, where do we find you uh, at this time? Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the Netherlands and I am good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good as 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 plague years allow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're. I, I guess if uh, yeah, we're we're okay. We're not sick. We're doing okay. We can still uh, do everything. We you know we're we're probably at home. I imagine you are, but uh, yeah, as yeah, all things considered. <laughs> yes, I, I, yes, I'm at home. I've been at home for fourteen months. Yeah, it's like parameters are like, does anybody have the plague? Are there any Nazis at the door? If not, <laughs> yeah, the, I'm the, good. Wor- I'm the good. world has changed a lot in the last <laughs> yes. year or two, it's in weird. particular. Um, I mean, I'm still stuck in March 2020. So, um, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I was complaining to somebody the other day that I couldn't think because it was Monday. And then I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, wait, no, it's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've forgotten what day of the week it is, what. Uh, what month it is, what season it is, because I'm indoors a lot. Yeah. Um, especially, especially now. But you know, hopefully we can get to go out again soon within a few months. But we shall yeah. see. That's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, at least we have uh, we have well, our imaginations and we have your work to help yes. us through, which we're going to talk about now um, in this conversation. So the very first thing, uh, because I know you're involved in a lot. But the very first thing that you have just been, where you're still working on, is uh, it's called is it an RPG game called City of Flesh, which has just been successfully funded on Kickstarter. So congratulations on that. It seems like there's thank a you. huge audience for this already. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you. So, and I was just reading through it my, myself. It looks really interesting, but I'm going to let you explain because you're, you're the expert. We want to hear from you. Um, so... In your own words and in your own time, uh, what exactly is City of Flesh? So uh, City of Flesh is a tabletop role-playing game, so in the veins of Dungeons and Dragons, but weirder. Um, weirder. The mechanics are tarot cards. You pull uh, cards from a tarot deck to see uh, if you succeed in your actions and what happens next. And the setting is basically once upon a time, um, there was a titan that roamed the land. It was called the Colossus and it kept stomping on people in villages and towns until um, the heroes rose up and they slew the Colossus. The problem is that because it's a titan, it can't 
die. So currently the Titan is neither alive nor dead. Um, and to make sure it doesn't rise again, they've built a city in the corpse of the Colossus to um, physically restrain it and siphon off its magic for its own spells so that it can't rise. Uh, the city is called Nagara and it's built in the womb of the Colossus, which uh, is starting to grow back and overgrown. So it's literally a city of flesh. It's a city built in flesh. People are living in flesh mounds. Um, it's a it's a, a constitutional monarchy. Um, I think that is the official term. It's it's a monarchy, but the the count the the queen has a, a privy council, uh, who she's currently fighting with. And uh, you uh, the the players play midwives because uh, Nagara can't exist because titans are a relic from the age of magic, and in the age of magic, titans cannot die, and therefore you can't build cities in their corpses. And we're moving to the age of science. And in the age of science, titans do not exist. And therefore you can't build cities in their corpses. So uh, the city of flesh exists in this liminal space, but the age is passing and the city can't exist any longer because the laws of reality that make it possible um, are stopping to exist. So the doom of Nagara is written in the stars. It's unavoidable. And you play midwives uh, who are of any gender. Uh, and your task is to birth this doom and hopefully do it in a way um, that the things you care about can continue to exist even as the city ends or changes into something completely different. So, um, so it's, a, it's, it's a weird game, um, but we absolutely love it. And it's doing really well on Kickstarter. It looks like a lot of people love it. Um, yeah. And we've been calling it a Femcore Grimdark. Femcore meaning that it uses a feminist um, imagery and by feminist I mean intersectional like the people of Nagara apart from the royals who are hopelessly outdated and who insist on using uh, she her or him uh, he him uh, everybody in Nagara uses uh, either they them or Caesar pronouns um, and uh, and and the the, the monarchy is is uh, passes uh, to the eldest child regardless of uh, their gender so it's so it's feminist in the in the good way. <laughs> so it's it's feminist and loud and brash. That's the femcore. And the grim dark, of course, is the it's it's um, dark and kind of hopeless. But you still have to see it through to the end. <laughs> right. Um, you know, a bit, bit like this life now with COVID. It's a see it through to the exactly. end. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But exactly. No, it, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot in it, you know, there's, um, you, I, can, yeah. I can tell that uh, you, you have a lot of imagination um, yes. to, <laughs> to, to come up with this. Um, and, and I suppose my question is, how do you come up with these ideas? Because I don't think I would have the imagination to come up with, you know, something like this. And I mean, it's in the best possible way, by the way. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> how do you so come up I, with a story like this? So what inspirations uh, did, you, did you take? Uh, was it simply your imagination or did you take inspiration from other works or other authors or games or anything? Um, so I think you always take inspiration, but this time it wasn't consciously. I've done games and people ask me, what's your inspiration? And I can just name the movies. But in this case, with the <laughs> Kickstarter, we actually wanted to say, so what movies and books is this like? And we were like, none, none. There's nothing like this. It's too weird. It sounds very, um, very original, at least. I can't think of anything yeah. like it. Yeah, no, but what, uh, the thing is, I, I run a 
Patreon um, for indie games, along with my writing partner, Liz uh, Chaipreditkul. And Liz has a thing about writing about menstruation. She has two games out about menstruation. Uh, and I have a thing about writing about death. Um, <laughs> and if you combine that, apparently you get cities built in the rotting booms of Colossi. Apparently, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's how it happened, and we we uh, we wrote it. Uh, initially, the thing is, the Patreon is for it started as things that we really wanted to write and that we wanted to see if there's a market for, and the answer is yes. Uh, but we we wrote it. Uh, we came to mechanics and we were like, oh, what mechanics do we want to do? We landed on the tarot system um, because um, it's a very narrative system. You, you draw cards and rather than rolling dice and something does or does not exceed, um, you narrate based on the cards. So it's more narrative and we, we like that for this system. But yeah, it kind of apparently if you put the two of us together, you get skulls and you get people who menstruate. Um, both important uh, topics. Exactly. Um, yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I was just listening to uh, another podcast, which Thomas, uh, well, a friend of ours, is part of the Gaming Outsider mm -hmm. topic, and they were discussing uh, what topics uh, should games cover that are not really covered usually in games. And I, I mean, death sometimes, but I guess, you know, menstruation is not really covered, well, in, in public, at least, or in, um, in games as well. So at least this is something very original that... Um, you know, that maybe is not covered as much either in games or in pop culture a lot. So, and it could teach people maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Liz actually wrote a game. Um, it's called Bloody Demon Slayers. Uh, I, um, and, and the idea is that you, you play um, like uh, the magical anime girl trope where you transform into Sailor Moon, but then you transform into a demon slayer and you slay demons, obviously. It's like Buffy. Um, but your transformation is based on um, your menstruation. Like, are you currently in your cycle or oh. not? And do you usually, your stats are like, how heavy is your flow? How is your mood? Uh, how are your cramps? And based on that, you play the game. So yeah, um, that's so interesting. We, we've, got you, we've got you covered. <laughs> yeah, again, as a man, that's, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, I don't have to go through that, but I think it's interesting that you are, as Some I said. Some men menstruate. Oh, well, that's true, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I think it is interesting that, you know, you're, you're bringing this out, you know, as I mentioned, in public, and it's not really a taboo subject, that, you know, not that it should be. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and so... And so then you said that you like writing about deaths. Is there any particular reason why you have you know you're you're attracted to these dark topics um, in particular? No, I'm 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 a horror writer by trade. Okay, it's, so that's right. <laughs> yeah, basically. So I mean, I can because I, I do a lot of work for hire, and ultimately you can hire me for anything, and I can write for it. That's part of my job. I can I can read a setting, and I can get the right tone, and I get can get can get the right themes, and I can write whatever people pay me to write. And what um, is it about horror that, uh, that attracts but you? Horror is the one that I'm best at. I don't know. I'm just really good at scaring myself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the kind of person who's home alone and then starts to think about, oh, what if uh, I were to look uh, behind me in the glass and I see this reflection and that I, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, no, that's a game. <laughs> um, I, li I like scaring myself, yeah. Okay, and then scaring other people then, apparently. Yeah, in a safe and consensual way. <laughs> of course, yeah. But then not, think... not, like, not like they're doing now with, hey, there's a pandemic. 
but you yeah, know, in a safe way. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, you know, in fiction, I think it's it's okay. You know, horror fiction, like horror movies, horror games. Exactly. Horror yeah, you can hit pause whenever you want, and the games that I write all have safety mechanics, okay. which allow you to hit pause, as it were, in the game. Yeah. Okay. So then, now you mentioned that this game has. Uh, tarot cards. So for people who've never really played anything like this, uh, so a role-playing game like this, or for people who've maybe played mainly with uh, dice, uh, mm -hmm. how does this game work? So how do the tarot uh, cards work then? So is there a group of people kind of around the table or and do you choose um, tarot cards? or? Yeah, you, you can you can play it over Zoom nowadays. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask as well. Traditionally, it would be at the table. That's what um, I'm as well. Can, yeah. In these times we live in, it's probably difficult to get people around a table, yeah. probably not advised. Uh, yeah. can, can it be played over Zoom then as well? Yes, How you can. So so the idea is, uh, the good news is you don't have to be a tarot reader to use the tarot deck for the game because we supply rules for that. We describe with each card what it does. Uh, basically what happens is you have uh, three actions like um, uh, soothe, you know, make friends with someone, smooth the situation over. You've got uh, a power that lets you antagonize, you know, rile things up, get angry. Um, and so um, you say what you want to do. Uh, normally you would pull the card, but obviously if you're playing across Zoom, the, you would ask the game master to pull everyone's card. Um, okay. And then based <laughs> on uh, whether the card is upright or inverted, inverted means it's upside down, your action succeeds or fails. And then based on what the card itself is, and we have descriptions for that, um, that determines how it fails or succeeds. So if you're trying to, um, to befriend someone and you pull the lover's card um, and it's upright, then then the action would succeed because uh, maybe the person you're talking to uh, fancies you. Okay. <laughs> and so th then these are all, the, um, um, you know, if there's one game master then, so I'm just trying to understand as well over this one, yep. one game master, you ask him or her to pull out a card and they pull out the card and then um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. You tell them what you want to do, and then they usually you would pull the card, but obviously right now the game master is pulling everybody's cards uh, over Zoom and holding them up, and then um, and then based on the card you decide whether the action succeeds or not. So it's it's very narrative because okay, it's yeah. never it's never simply oh uh, you know you roll the dice and it works or it doesn't. It's it does work or it doesn't, but then you look at the card and then together between the between the game come up with, oh wait, so looking at the imagery of this card, I think maybe that is what happens. And if you're completely stuck, because uh, the first thing that I would say is just look at the imagery. Most tarot decks have images <laughs> that you can okay. look at and you can go, oh yeah. Uh, but if you don't have a tarot deck or you don't want to buy one, then we actually have a complete list and you can just substitute, like you can print and, and then you can substitute normal playing cards for your tarot cards and you can just go, oh, so if this was the uh, a tarot deck, then this is what it would look like physically and then this is how I would interpret it. So okay. we've got you covered if you do. So you've thought of nearly tarot. everything, it seems. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still more niche than it would be if we used dice. I'll totally admit that, but we wanted it's a weird game it's it well, has a weird system yeah. i mean that that seems to be one of the selling points and that because as we, as we <laughs> see now that a lot of people yep. seem to be interested in it yeah yeah um and then so you, now you say it's, it's it's niche and it's you know in your words it's weird as well um but how, how 
you know accessible would it be for a, someone who's never played a role playing game or doesn't really or is this for people who are more experienced no. at role-playing games? No, I think anyone can play it. I actually okay. think that what, what, you have to be open to it um, because it's not... It, it, there is a dungeon crawl element because um, you have to go into the flesh of the Colossus to save people and assess threats and maybe kill monsters like parasites that live in a giant rotten corpse. So there actually is the traditional dungeon crawl element that you see in a lot of games. It's just more bloody physically like walking around in flesh but no um assuming everybody at the tail has an open mind it's it's super accessible okay uh, yeah, you have to be you have to be willing to try something new we've we've um there's there's obviously you get that in in every in every industry whether it's music or television you've always gonna there's always gonna be a couple of really big hitters um like dungeons and dragons or pathfinder um and you'll always have people who want to play that and they don't want to play something else, um, which is fine. Like, just play whatever you want. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'll also have people who go, oh, wait, what's this show? Carnivale or, you know, mm -hmm. name some uh, or some David Lynch movie. There's always going to be an audience for that, too. But that is definitely more where we are. Like, uh, you have to be willing to give it a go. You have to be willing to try it. You have to be willing to sit down and say, OK, so as a player, I essentially control as much of the story as the GM does, as the game master does, because I too can look at these cards and interpret them. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, we most of us, I imagine, have more time in our hands, or a lot of us have more time yep. in our hands. So it's, we we do now have. I mean, depending on our personal circumstances, but we do have, you know, the time to try something new now, like this, if it is new for us. So yes. Um, have Have you found that these games are popular over over Zoom? I mean, obviously, I'm sure that you know face to face is is better. Um, but how how do people how do you see people have managed it over Zoom? Has it been successful you know how successful has it been well it's um, it's well the kickstarter is basically our first big release so yeah and that has been very successful <laughs> yes it has it has and uh, i i have seen i know that some people are playing it as part of the promotion um but i would assume that it's it's uh i, I would assume it's very playable yeah because it's very narrative so you're not constantly sure. looking at the dice you're also telling a story and i kind of but that is also partially me that I kind of because you are you do know that the city is going to change in such a way that it's a doom. Like maybe it will still exist, but it will ex exist in such a completely different way that you can say that the old city basically died and there's a new city that has risen in its place. Um, and that is probably the horror writer in me, but I find that sort of games very cathartic in times like this. Yes. Um, because as the midwives, you steer that doom. You choose what form you want it to take. So you know it's coming, and you know that what you currently have and know is going to be lost. But you get to choose what the new thing looks like, kind of. Yes, that you're still in control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you could choose to maybe people will take pity on the Colossus and go like, she's had the city in her for a thousand years. Maybe we, maybe this is simply maybe her rising and the city being destroyed is simply what is intended to happen. Sure, no, it sounds, you know, really interested. I'm certainly interested in it. Yes. <laughs> um, it and now, now you mentioned as well that you used um, Kickstarter. 
so first of all, how would this uh, or this uh, book or this game be be sent? Is it a physical game or can it? Yeah. Or can, it's, so it's physical, yes. Yes, uh, you can pledge uh, for a PDF or as a physical book. It's nine euros. 15 and the 15 includes shipping um we oh. ship from, uh, we ship from the netherlands so if you're in europe you're going to get it quicker um mm -hmm. and if you're with it maybe not if you're in england but if you're in the european union it should be good <laughs> um, yeah um so so it should um but it still needs to be printed part of the kickstarter is raising money to print but it's going to be 50 pages a5 soft cover uh it's we're aiming for a foil uh, cover, so like with a bit of gloss in it and like good quality paper, uh, thick cardstock. So okay. you'll get a physical book, and we we've gone ahead and included shipping in that because when because we're in Europe and a lot of Kickstarters that we back are in the US, and shipping is always like terrible because it, it changes and you know you pledge and it's seven dollars and then you actually have to pay up and it's twenty dollars shipping uh, yeah. and that's not because of the kickstart it's just because you know somebody on their end is actively dismantling the post services and thus the prices go up um it's not their fault yeah well <laughs> maybe it is i mean are you responsible for the but yeah um uh, but because of that we were like just like okay Dutch postal services are very consistent. They're pretty good. I mean, they're struggling, obviously, right now. There's a pandemic mm. and everybody's ordering stuff through mail. So this, but they're pretty good. <laughs> they're, they're pretty affordable. So we're like, we're, we'll just include shipping. That's okay. We'll handle that. Yeah. Okay. No, that's very kind of you uh, to include. So free shipping around the world, is it? Or just within the EU? Around the world. No, wow, that's uh, very kind of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's another another advantage to uh, pledging for this Kickstarter. And yes, and, and so then, how long did it take to come up with the Kickstarter? Did, did it, you know, was there for anybody else who might be considering using Kickstarter? I mean, obviously, in your case, it has been successful. Yes. Um, but and you're still going at the time recording on the Kickstarter. How, yes, we've still got twelve days left. So yeah, please go check us out on the Kickstarter because uh, we this Kickstarter run of the book is probably going to be the only one we have. We do have a couple of retailers who have asked if they can buy retail copies, and we're selling them at a discount via the Kickstarter. But after okay. the Kickstarter, we probably will not be doing a second print. Um, okay. So you know, get your copy now. Yeah, you can get it. Uh, get it yeah. now. How long did it take you to prepare the Kickstarter itself? Um, uh, yeah, told so... it's, it feels like um, you know, from other people who have spoken with have said that it's like a, a full-time job all by itself <laughs> yep. running the Kickstarter. So, yeah. No. So the good news is that uh, Liz, my writing partner, has run very. Uh, I think this is her sixth Kickstarter, and they've all been super successful. And Liz knows exactly what she's doing right. um so so she tells me and I'm, and I'm just like i'm very glad you're handling that liz um but uh she will do market research she will check last year's zine quest and look exactly at our range of because we have a zine quest is basically anything from one pages to i think the official cutoff point might be 30 uh, we're 50 um but she will she will check products that are of a similar quality so a physical book uh, and page number with beautiful art and a good cover. She, so she will look for similar products and then look for how much they raised, how much they sold uh, per copy. Um, and so she does market research and that definitely takes her like a couple of days. 
um, she sets up the Kickstarter page, which she also does beautifully. Liz does our layout as well. So the entire book is hers physically. Um, like the layout and the art is hers. So she does the layout for the Kickstarter page. And I know that takes for a while too. Um, so yeah, so I would say she, she spends, I, I, would, I would say she spends a solid week on that. Um, wow, probably, yeah, of... uh, probably longer when it comes to starting to think about it. But if you reduce it to like, if she worked full full days on it, it would probably be a week. Uh, but she has a lot of experience. I would definitely say that if you're new to it, like take your time. Mm. Um, and I think the market it. research is, yeah. And I think the market research is crucial because, you know, there are like a zillion games out there uh, yeah, during design so. quest and, and people will be comparing you like, oh, you're, your your 10 pages and five dollars and the other one is 10 pages and ten dollars so mm. uh, but they have better art and you get all of that so okay yeah no, i can definitely say that looking at the kickstarter page it you know it is very well laid out it's very clear yep. and um and yeah it's very successful as well so um and <laughs> that is city of flesh and people can uh, back it uh well now with time recording and when i initially yes. upload this uh, episode for the podcast yep. and um and yeah now you mentioned uh ZineQuest as well uh what what exactly is uh ZineQuest? again for someone who's never heard of it yep. yeah um, so yeah so kickstarter has like theme months uh january is make 100 we did that last year uh during the course of oh my god what was it 2019 we set ourselves the ridiculous goal of writing a game per month, a micro game. Wow. <laughs> uh, and it was fine the first few months. We were like, a micro game is five pages. And then at the last month, we were like, a micro game is 30 pages that I have to write in a month. So it kept getting larger and larger and larger. But we did do it a game per month. And then in January of the next year, so January 2020, we launched Make 100. And the goal of Make 100, for example, is to get 100 people to pledge for a physical copy of whatever it is you're selling. And we sold a um, anthology book that did really well. It raised like 9,000 euros and sold almost 300 copies. So that was very successful too. Uh, so that is make, and that is the January make 100 month. And February is Zine Quest month, which is RPG Zines, Zine being short for magazine, I think. Um, and it's anything between one and 30 pages, it has to be black and white. I have seen people who are not doing that, but uh, <laughs> I mean, we're not sticking to the 30 pages, so it's fine. Uh, but the idea <laughs> give is take, that- uh, Give or take, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, give or take. But the idea is in February, you can uh, uh, publish your role-playing sign. Um, so a small role-playing magazine or game or idea that you had of a couple of pages. Um, and uh, Kickstarter will pay special attention to promoting those. So, so it's on the one hand very good because you do get the extra promotion and people are always looking out for it. They'll be like, oh, are you doing ZineQuest this year? Because I, 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 I usually like what you make and I wanna back mm. you. Um, so that's good. You get all the extra attention and people who have reserved money for, for backing ZineQuest. So they're good to go. Uh, the flip side of course, is that there's a lot of competition. And a lot of these are really good, hence do your market research. Mm. Um, but it is a good, it's, it's a good place for beginning RPG people to, to start because I'm seeing a lot of new people who are you know, publishing their first 
uh, role-playing thing um, through ZineQuest, and I, I've backed a couple um, because you know you you want to be supportive of of people. I actually I mentioned I said to Liz the other I said being an independent role-playing game creator is just like shuffling your money around between you and your friends forever. But every time you give it to somebody else, either Patreon or Kickstarter takes a cut. That's yeah. that's basically you raise money for your Kickstarter and then you give it to other people on their Kickstarter. Yes, yes. That's. I mean, I've never done a Kickstarter, but that's what um, you know. I've seen people say that Kickstarter takes a cut as well, yeah, so do. people have to take that into account as well. Yeah. Uh, when yep. doing Kickstarters, but uh, well, no, congratulations. It has been backed, but people can still back it. You know, yes, people can. People should back it. Uh, because, like I said, there, there won't be the, the PDF will probably stay available, mm, but the physical, book copy, the, the physical copy, it's either you, you're going to get it now or it's probably not unless it, maybe if it's wildly successful. But at this point, um, it, it looks to be trending to uh, 200 something copies, maybe um, 300. I'm, I'm hoping for 500. But that is a, a, that's a goal I set. I don't know if we'll reach that, but that would be great. Yeah, um, well. We still have uh, well, a few days. We still have twelve days, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, but it, it's this will probably be the only print run we do of it. So if you want it, you should get it now. And I, I honestly, I, th I think it's fifty pages. It's fully illustrated. It's really pretty. It's like a physical book that you can put in your bookshelf, and it's fifteen euros, and you don't even pay shipping. Like that, uh... people should just get this book. <laughs> I would get this book. <laughs> Definitely, no. And I don't have any money because I'm a writer. <laughs> oh, but I thought uh, all writers, all authors, uh, you know, it's very easy to be a writer. It's, uh, yeah, no, that's it, and write that, and yeah, just you do, but you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, but you know, I have to pay my mortgage, and sure. bank does not accept book copies. <laughs> it doesn't accept ideas for books. It, it does not. No. Oh, that's it a shame. Not. No, capitalism is ruining books. Oh, uh, well, along well, with it. Well, you mentioned the thread is the state of flesh, which uh, we you know recommend people check out and uh, you know yes. order your copy Please on do. Kickstarter. But you mentioned you're a, you're a writer, you're an author, you've written some other books. I believe you've written other RPG books and yes. fiction uh, books. Yes. So, um, I suppose what other RPG books before we get down to your fiction books have you have you written that uh, that you would like to talk about that you like to? Um, so I, I do, uh, it's called work for hire people, uh, companies uh, hire me to write on their books. Um, it's, it's RPG books are uh, almost never, none that I've been on a solo endeavor. There's always a team because, um, because obviously having 30 people each write one chapter is quicker than having one person write 30 chapters and, you know, margins are thin. Uh, so you do want a sort of quick turnaround on your books. But I have written for uh, Vampire the Masquerade is probably the most famous oh. IP I've worked on. I've written for uh, Harlem Bound, that's Call of Cthulhu. I've written for RuneQuest, um, for Seventh uh, Sea and Blue Rose. Uh, and I also write a lot for Liz's company, Angry Hamster Publishing, and she does uh, Witch Fated Souls and Afterlife. Wandering Swords, which uh, has won all sorts of indie groundbreaker awards. Um, so yeah, so oh, and I just worked on the Stargate RPG. That was a dream come through because oh, I'm wow. a huge Stargate nerd. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, they they announced that they were doing it, and I just emailed them with, "I'm really really good at writing. I I am. It's, I don't have many talents, but that's one of them." 
to I know everything about Stargate. <laughs> Hire me. And they did, they did. Oh, congr congratulations. It's uh, I see it. I mean, I've seen the movie Stargate, the original movie and, and some of the series, but I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not a I should really get you know get back into it because yeah. I, I enjoy I really like the movie, the one that was uh, was that the first one was that the first that that came before the series right yeah the the movie's first yeah. and then there's the series yeah and I yeah the funny thing is once they hired me um, I I had to of course rewatch the entire series for research purposes of course and, research and, right and, not, not exactly. because you wanted to to rewatch yeah and people <laughs> would come in and I'm sitting behind my laptop watching and they're like Steffi shouldn't you be working. I am. I am. <laughs> this is my work. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's you know part of perks with the job comes with the, comes with the job. You have to do research. Yes. And you need yes, to watch exactly. it again a second time because you know yep. you didn't get things made the first time and um, yeah. <laughs> and then you know you mentioned for some of the RPG books that you it's a collaboration with you know you mentioned thirty authors mm -hmm. or thirty other. Right. Yeah. Well, how does that work? Lot, but you, well, you'll get or a few progress. anyway. Yeah. How, how does that um, work exactly? Do, do you so, collaborate with them? Do you, do you work with them or do you? Yeah. Do you no, I usually work. Uh, yeah. It depends per author. But um, what usually happens is you've got a developer. I've also been a developer, so I can tell you both sides of the story. Okay. You yeah. have a developer and they get an assignment for a book. And um, usually it's, it's something like uh, write a book about werewolves in London and it has to have this in it. And then you start with your outline. So exactly what is my theme of the book? What is the mood of the book? What do I want the book to do in terms of game experience? Because it doesn't matter how pretty or beautiful the setting is if people are like, yeah, but what do I do? Then it's not a good game, then it's a novel. Mm. Um, so what is, what is my theme, my mood, my game experience? And then you start outlining exactly per chapter what you want. And then you hire authors and um, you ask, you give them, you send them the outline and you're like, okay, tell me what you're enthusiastic about and what makes you go absolutely not. And then based on that input, you assign people sections and they get to writing. Um, and that is usually part where as developer, a lot of developers also write on a book. Um, and, uh, but sometimes as a developer, this is where you can sit back. So the writers then get together, they read the outline, um, they come up with their own mini outline because um, if it's like you're hiring these people because you believe they are good, they have good ideas, they have good, they have a good grasp of the setting, or you know that they're very quick in picking it up because that is part of the trade, um, and and so you don't want to dictate exactly what they have to write. You just tell them the broad lines, so they will then suggest to you, oh, how about this? How about this? Um, and they and authors also talk to each other because it'll be like, oh, I'm I have a uh, I'm writing about vampires and I have a werewolf antagonist in my chapter. Is somebody writing the werewolves? And would it be cool if your if my antagonist is in your chapter? So mm. that you know there's a connection. So that it because despite the fact that you have maybe you know ten people working on a book, you do want the reader to read it. As it has to be coherent. It has to look like it was written by one person, even if it was 10. Um, so you'll want to connect with them. And sometimes it's, it's uh, sometimes you will write uh, the, 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 the fiction or the world chapter and somebody else is doing the powers. So then you have to email them like, oh yeah, I've got somebody who can look into fire and send messages. So that has to be a power. You have to work that into your chapter. So there is a lot of back and forth um, that is 
usually encouraged but not um, mandatory for the simple fact that um, almost all authors in the RPG industry get paid per word and not per time. So if I spend zero time collaborating with my co-authors and I write a thousand words, I get the exact same amount of money that I did if I wrote those words and spent five hours collaborating with my co-hours. And those five hours are hours that I can't write something else to get paid mm. for. So it's really hard as a company to say you have to, um, but you know it is encouraged because it will make the product better. And um, I like to collaborate with people, so I'm very good at that. I will. People can always tell when I've started because I've got a lot of deadlines coming in and people can tell when their project has moved to the top of my list because then I'm like, here's my 12th email of today. <laughs> I'm very sorry that I'm like this, but. <laughs> It's a, it sounds like an interesting, you know, way, way of doing things, at least, because from authors who I've spoken with, usually they just work on their own, um, you know, never when they write fiction or whatever, I mean, mainly on their own. Uh, now, you've written fiction as well. Have, have you written books on your own as well? Yep, I have. I have. Yeah, I've written uh, several, I've written in Dutch and I've written short stories for um for RPG anthologies. So I have uh, written uh, books um, and I'm currently writing on one that I'm doing completely solo. Um, mm. So yeah, as a, as, a, as a writer, I still kind of collaborate, but less. Uh, right. Then it's more like, you know, I'll, I'll be like, oh yeah, I've got, like I said, I've got a werewolf in my story and I know that somebody else also has a werewolf. So could it be the same dude? That's... Okay, do you have a preference for a writer writing uh well, solo or more solo or collaborating for these um, RPG books uh, in particular, or do you like both? I like both, but I, I, I do really love collaborating. Yeah, it, it helps me bounce ideas off and get enthusiastic. And um, because you and, and also because uh, my worldview is only what it is. Um, and I think it's in a novel that's less important. In a novel, you can just say my protagonist is a cis uh, bisexual white woman that's fine but if you write a game it has to be a game that everyone can play and it's not enough to have the entire thing written by a cis white woman so there is a huge value in games uh, in, how, in working with a team and having diverse people on it mm. so that you get you know different voices so that um, you know uh, sub, uh, sometimes I will introduce uh, uh, a trans uh, NPC that's a non-player character, that's a storyteller controlled character uh, in, in, my, in my sections. And I'll, I'll, I'll ask one of my, my trans co-workers, I'm like, could you, could you check this for me to make sure that I'm not saying anything weird or offensive? And they can, they can run over that section and they're usually, they're like, yeah, that's fine, that's good. Oh, that, that's great, yeah, because you can, you can get, you know, as you said, um, from their point of view as well, because it's, you know, from our point of view, it might be hard from, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and that I goes for everything. More like, authentic, be, yes. Yeah, people because I'm, I'm also I'm able bodied. So sometimes you will you will want somebody in there who is not and I can run that by other co workers. Um, and then you do also have professional sensitivity reads who will go over the entire thing. But as, as a writer, sometimes it's just easier for me to reach out to a co worker and go like, could I could I run this by you and then in exchange, I'll, I'll check your section. Uh, then wait for the sensitivity read to come in. Cool. Because um, then I can fix it while I'm going. Cool, very, very cool. And, um, and so, so then, then if there are, 
uh, are there ever any disagreements? So, for example, if you're working solo, uh, you just go, no, this is what I'm, I, I, first of all, I imagine this is, uh, this sounds like it's, you know, like a writer's room for TV series and, you know, people get together yeah. and. Yeah, a bit, um, a bit, yeah. And, they, you know, they, each one might write an episode, but it's all put together. Um, but then uh, how do you work through any, say, I don't know, disagreements is the word, or people have different ideas and you can only uh, kind of use one. Or... Well, that's that's why every project has a developer, ultimately, mm. because I've had, so you write your section, you send it into the developer, who then it's called redlined, because it used to be done in red ink. And I think actually, if you use track change in Word, it still gives you red. Um, so they redline it, they go over it, and they check that you do what we ask you to do. Uh, does what you write make sense compared to mm. what everybody else writes? Like if I write that vampires sparkle in the sunlight and everybody else has them turned to ashes, obviously something one of the other needs to be fixed, changed. Uh, so they will check for consistency. Uh, they will check if you uh, got the tone right and if you got the theme right and if you got the player experience right that they wanted for. Uh, and that is, and and you know, and they'll they'll go like, oh, did you consider this? And sometimes they'll correct you. They're like, that is not how this power works. That we we've, we've established that in a previous book. You can't make this up. And they send back red lines. Uh, and it has happened that I've gone through red lines and I've said, no, no, you you've totally missed what I was trying to do here. You you missed <laughs> my point. You didn't read it right. So then, um, um, I usually I just I just do what they want me to. But sometimes I will reach out. And I'm like, hmm. I know you said you wanted B, but I deliberately went for A. Uh, let me explain why, uh, why I like it better. Um, and um, because sometimes it isn't, sometimes it's, it's like, I probably didn't, uh, you know, tease what I was trying to do out enough. Mm. Um, uh, so, so I will discuss that. And sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, no, now that you've explained what you were trying to do, which you did badly, you can go back in and you can try to do it right. Uh, and sometimes they're like, no, Steffi, I got that that's what you're trying to do and I just don't like it. Do it my way. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, ultimately, they pay you to write what they want you to write. So in the end, it's what they, what they say goes, yeah. Okay, so um, what the developer says then. <laughs> what the developer says, go, yeah. Yeah. You are, and as a developer, the same, you know, I'll redline too, and sometimes people do come back where like, this is a stupid redline. I'm like, yeah, that's fine that you think that. <laughs> um, but I still need you to do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this, this is my story. This is... <laughs> yes, sorry, this is my book. You have to do it the way I want it. Right, and Cause, if you because that is what people pay you for ultimately, yeah, it's not your vision; it's the developer's vision. Sure, and if you're the you know one of the the other writers, you have a mortgage to pay, so it's kind of do what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and usually people do like I was hired for a book, um, and they wanted me to do a section on punk anarchy, and I was like, I was so happy. I was like, oh. Oh, yay, I've got, I know so much. So I kept emailing them. I'm like, oh, this is so much job. I'm so good at this. And the developers, yeah, Steffi, I kind of picked up that anti-fascist, anti-capitalist, anti-corporation is kind of your thing. That is why I hired you for this section. So, so you do hire people for what you think they're going to be good at. 
Right. Uh, so and, and usually that works out, but occasionally there's a clash and then whatever the developer says goes. Okay, well, so they've got you then, they've, they've got you down, so they know, they yeah. know what you're really passionate about. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Um, oh, that's someone great. to write something about how capitalism is the bane of all evil. <laughs> okay, let's, let's hire Steffi. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yes. and I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you, but be before we do finish then, because you mentioned you wrote some uh, fiction books as well, uh, are they all in Dutch? Um, all new fiction I, I wrote one in Dutch and the rest is in English. And I'm currently oh, the rest in English. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Most of my work is in English because I write fantasy and horror. Most Dutch readers who uh, like fantasy and horror read English really well. Right. You, but well, you but English audiences English anyway. <laughs> yeah, and English audiences do not read Dutch, oddly enough. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> hasn't it's caught a, on. No. Yeah, it's like, like do double Dutch to us. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. So 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 by writing in English, I I broaden my audience. It's of course, it's a very yeah. Practical I mean, decision. I mean, your English is better than mine as well. So, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, um, well, friend of ours, Thomas, uh, his English is better than mine as well. So, yeah, Dutch um, people are pretty good at English, pretty good in English, yeah. Yeah, and so what, uh, what, what, what books uh, have you written that m people might, um, you know, know about most? You mentioned fantasy, horror. Yeah, most of them are uh, RPG anthologies. So going back to uh, yeah. Changeling, The Lost, and um, uh, and other books like that. So you will write a short story. I'm writing one for uh, Asylum now, uh, which is about you play the children of, of the gods, you're a demigod on earth. Um, but that is largely the same pro process that you have several people and they each write one short story for uh, a larger story, it's a novella. Um, so there's a pretty pretty cool. I wrote a comic recently, uh, uh, which is uh, illustrated by Chrissy Brown. That was also in Kickstarter, uh, funded. Um, uh, but yeah, those are mostly. Uh, I, I want to do more novels, and I'm currently working on one, but I don't want to jinx it. Um, uh, so, uh, you, you won't tell us about it then. You won't go into detail about the plot nope, and the bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's secret until it's it's secret until it's done. Um, um, but yeah, the the I do, I do want to write. I do want to write more uh, mm. fiction, and I'm always super enthusiastic if people offer me uh, anthology jobs. Um, but I, I will readily admit that I I I don't have I don't have the mind space to sit down and write like a hundred thousand word novel. Uh, like I know that people can do that in a pandemic. I'm not one of them. I was going to ask you, how, how do you find uh, this pandemic and being at home a lot now? Oh, it's you, terrible. Have you been more creative or I'm guessing, you know, <laughs> less creative? Um, I've, I've been more creative when it, creative in terms of my apocalyptic games. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder um, why. <laughs> yes, exactly. So actually, on that note, I wanted to uh, also point people to my patron, which is still going. So last yes, year, I was we going to ask that, so where, where, can people, where can people, so it's a Patreon for City of Flesh? Uh, no, the, Patre the Patreon game last year was City of Flesh, and we're publishing that this year, but okay. it's done, it's written, um, and um, uh, but this year we are actually doing, and I think people will love that, we're doing postcard games, so it's a physical postcard, like, uh, the, uh, and there will be a game on it, a, a micro game that you can play, um, 
and we think people will love it because everybody is stuck at home. I yes. think people are going to love getting mail and you'll have this small game. You can play some of them alone. You have to play some of them with friends. Uh, Liz is specifically working on one that you play with friends, but via um, the internet or through physical snail mail for the people who want that. So, so that is um, making contact with people through, through mail. Uh, my first postcard game of January, which we are sending out uh, today or tomorrow, uh, is called Alone. And that was definitely my, I am so sad and depressed at this stupid lockdown uh, game. But like I said, I found that very cathartic to then just like, what if you were the only person in the world? What if that was a game? <laughs> yes. The, the um, before that was hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You now it's like, oh yeah, I know what that's like. Um, but yeah, so people can uh, sign in on the Patreon. And if you do that, that is also shipping included. And you will get a postcard from us from the Netherlands uh, every, um, uh, every month. Um, and you can pledge higher and then you get extra games. But it'll be a physical postcard that you get, which I think is pretty cool this this weird, weird era. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and obviously, and you can send it on to friends. Like you can just put a sticker over your address and send it to the next buddy you have that also likes games. Yeah, it's way of keeping people connected as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, we wanted to do something with, mm. like you said, you can't exactly get together anymore. So <laughs> you can send people game mail. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And, you know, yeah. again, keeping people connected and, <laughs> getting our mind off things and onto something else fun yeah yeah so the january game is is done um uh, but people can sign on for february and uh it's per month so it's if, if you want to do one game and then not anymore that's fine just unsubscribe from the patreon uh, but the patreon is uh, liz and steffi it's all one word but it's Liz and Steffi, not Lizard Steffi. Somebody thought it was Lizard Steffi. Oh. I was like, no, it's Liz and. Why would it be Lizard Steffi? That makes no sense. Yeah, well, I'll include the link in the in the show notes. Make oh, that'd it be great. For people uh, to get there. And uh, is there anywhere else that people can find you as well? With Patreon, the main place. Yeah, uh, uh, is there, do you have yeah, a website I'm, or anything? Or uh, yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on Twitter. Uh, that's the easy place to find me is on Twitter as 100. It's the number 100 things I love. And then in my bio, I have a link tree, which leads to my website and to the Patreon and to the Kickstarter and everywhere else. Um, so the easiest place to, to find me is simply uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, it sounds like you're, you're busy anyway, that you're doing a lot and you're involved in a lot. And as you mentioned, you're currently working on City of Flesh. And yes. um, that is on Kickstarter. It's already been uh, successful, but people can still pledge at time of recording. Um, yes. And uh, and yeah, and uh, no, I've learned a lot, you know, because I, I admit, even though like I'm a gamer, I didn't know much about the RPG books or yeah. role-playing tabletop games, but I've learned a lot now in the last 40, 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I, could, I could spend hours talking about this, but... Uh, I know we, even though we're in a pandemic, we do have other things to do in the, your particular yeah. uh, fr Friday evening. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we finish, before we go? Is there anything that um, you'd like to... Uh, no, there isn't. If I there's we... any people who are listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, I also have a cyberpunk game that I want to hire Steffi for, you can. Uh, like, I, I'm usually available for uh, work for hire. 
Um, if you want to buy my games, like just go to the Patreon and there's a list of uh, all the games that Liz and I worked on as indie because um, we make royalties if people buy those, obviously. And uh, that is not the game. That is not the case for the other books that I worked on. So please buy my indie books. Um, yes, you and, have a mortgage uh, to pay. <laughs> yeah, I do. And um, I, I've got a couple of uh, games up on Itch.io uh, that are also uh, all me. Uh, but again, if you go to my Twitter, there's a there's a link tree and everything is in there. And please check out the Kickstarter. I know that I said it's weird and niche, <laughs> but it is honestly a really fun game. And anyone who likes grim dark dungeon explorations with a lot of gore but also likes politics and intrigue is gonna love this game i think mm, sounds really interesting uh well on that note very best i mean best of luck i you know say but you've already been successful hopefully you get you reach the target you want to reach with it yeah and uh again the very best of luck with uh, everything else you're doing and I'll definitely be keeping an eye out because I'm, you know, I'm really interested in what you'll be doing next as well. Um, so, well, thank you so much, Steffi. And uh, we'll be in contact, I hope, in yes, the future. Definitely. And, uh, and yeah, thank you to Thomas. I'm sure people from the Adventure Games podcast know for putting us into contact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so thank you, Thomas. And, uh, and yeah, so best of luck. And we'll keep in touch. And uh, I'll include the, show, the links in the show notes. So. Okay. Well, thanks uh, so much for having me. No worries. T take care then, Steffi. And um, yeah, hopefully we can go outside again soon. <laughs> yes, please, please. Ho hopefully the, the post-apocalyptic will be just in our imagination. <laughs> yeah, like I tried the apocalypse. It was both more terrifying and more boring than I thought it would be. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm done. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Steffi. So that was my interview with Steffi Devan. I hope people enjoyed it. And huge thank you to Steffi for the interview. We had a really fun time as well. And thank you to Thomas for putting us into contact with each other. And uh, I really encourage people to check out her Kickstarter for City of Flesh. The links will be in the show notes. And um, to you know, check out her other work as well. And uh, so that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me as always and for... Uh, the last 100 or so episodes and uh, we'll be back next week with Thomas and Laura we'll be reviewing the latest adventure games that we've been playing uh, which will include well Tacoma and uh, an old school adventure game Flight of the Amazon Queen plus whatever other adventure games we managed to play in that time so um, so take care everyone goodbye